Welcome to Shred is Not Dead. If it makes you bang your head, we'll talk with them or about them. I'm joined today by the lovely Jim Gray. All around great guy. Hello. (laughs) Very talented. Hi. Um, What you haven't heard is that I've just had a massive recording failure uh, and we've been talking away for five minutes or so. So we're uh, we're onto the topic of Twitch streaming already. Um, You guys missed some seriously positive content there. You know, we could have solved some serious world problems and you would never know. (laughs) We found the meaning of life, but yeah. It was, it was beautiful guys. You'll just, yeah, you'll have to trust us. It was beautiful, but yeah, Twitch streaming. It's a, it's a totally different uh, kind of, I suppose, tool set required for entertaining. Like, you know, I have a lot of practice as an entertainer being, you know, a singer in a band for basically 20 years and like um, various bands of various quality and experience, but like, you know, so taking a lot of that and putting it into a context where it's like you're in a, a, you know, you're in the world of technology, everything's different and unfamiliar, and I'm kind of finding my feet there. So it feels a little bit like starting again, but in a really kind of nice, refreshing way. Plus, the community we've got is just gorgeous. It's really, they're all nice to each other. It's so unlikely on the internet is, for that to happen. Very wholesome. I had a moment there in your Discord for that. Uh, by the way, the real Jim Gray on Twitch, except no substitutes. <laughs> If they're nice, you can you can accept them. Accept everybody; it's fine. It's a it's a it's a handle on the internet. It's meaningless. <laughs> yeah, wait until you get the purple tick. Those are unreplaceable. But <laughs> yeah, but the yeah. name. So yeah, even then, I jumped in and said, "Hey, like, there's this the acoustic version of a song I haven't heard um, that's been doing the rounds on the internet on the deep web. It's been scrubbed. The band's you know not released it on any other medium." And I think within half an hour, I had three or four people say, oh, is this it here or follow this link? Or it was just so wholesome. I too am scraping the bowels of the internet for the dregs of former music. music. You know, I want to find the most obscure thing possible. Join me in my search. But no, they're all ready to help each other out. It's great. There's there's stuff. What what I noticed was a beautiful thing was like, you know, I I gave it a push in the beginning to be, uh, you know, oh, let's be nice to each other. It's a safe place. We can all, you know, give each other support, that kind of thing. And I gave it a push in that direction. But then there was a point where it's like people started meeting up outside of Discord and Twitch, like in the, re- in the real world, going to shows and stuff together. Like they start having events without me, not involving me at all, just in the Discord, just because the community exists. And I, I'd like that blew my freaking head off because it was like, I had no idea that it was going to be that way. But yeah, so we've created something nice. It's something I think about a lot that perhaps this is a really good example of where I think Hollywood in particular, uh, to pick a random scapegoat for my little rant here, really does a number (laughs) on us as a society in convincing us that, you know, if we had a major catastrophe um, and something went really, really terribly wrong, that we'd just descend into anarchy and beating each other up for toilet roll paper. I don't think that's the case. And I think this is a really didn't good we, Didn't we literally, I mean, like we literally did see that in the last three years. Well, there was video footage of people literally beating each other up for toilet paper. No, actually, Bad you're, things not, you're not wrong. <laughs> but no, I know. I get it. There, there is optimist again. <laughs> well, I know the thing is, I mean, like optimism is, is well and good. And I, I think the thing that we have to remember in times like in these uncertain times uh, is, is stuff like, you know, the, it, it's not all like that. The, the minority mm. is very, very loud and they often wear red hats and are a pack of dog cunts, but it's kind of <laughs> like, out, 
But, um, you know, for the most part, people are ready to kind of, you know, be nice to each other if you allow it or if you encourage it, I should say. Mm, exactly. And so you're sort of getting to the point with that where have you had anyone come up to you and say, oh, I really like your Twitch stream. And then I went and listened to the music and I'm a fan <laughs> now. Or- well, I mean, in the context of the stream, yeah, obviously I don't uh, uh, see anyone in the real world or talk mm. to anyone or leave my house. Um, <laughs> this is it. This is all you get. No, um, and uh, yeah, so I've had a couple of people come in and, you know, because obviously you get recommended channels on Twitch. Somebody just comes in and enjoys the community, starts having a nice time. And then they'll, you know, halfway through a stream or something, go like, oh, wait, are you in a band? And I, I give them the link and they check it out. And then like two streams later, they come back and go like, okay, so now I'm really big Seahorse fan now. Uh, and that's, that's really fun to see happen because I obviously expected it mostly to go the other way and it has. But the very idea that someone could just stumble upon the channel and find it in and of itself to be entertaining enough to stay and then to find the band from that is pretty, pretty cool. And it's wild that it works like that. I mean, you're obviously a great performer. Um, I don't need to, thank you. I don't need to protect your ego in this point of view, but there's just so much <laughs> on Twitch. There is just so Ooh. much. There's oh, it's thousands it's of crazy, people, man. hundreds of streams with maybe one or two people that have randomly clicked on a video and to mm-hmm. actually start drawing the attention like that is just, Oh, it just makes you realize the world is both a big and a tiny place at the same time. And it just totally, I think it also speaks volumes. I was thinking about this recently that, you know, it, it's all very well, you know, to have a little complaint in my brain of like, yeah, it's hard to sort of grow the community because Twitch is so flooded and whatever. But I think what that does is it speaks to the need for people to connect with one another right now. That like the reason that there's been a huge influx in people streaming is not just because everyone's trying to be an entrepreneur and make a living off gaming or whatever else. There are obviously those people, but there's plenty of people out there who just like haven't been able to connect with people in this way and we need the comfort of company and a shared interest and all of that sort of thing. And I think that that's uh, so when you see all of these small communities popping up and you go, I go and visit them quite regularly, I pop in and sort of meet people and, and see what other people are doing in their channels for ideas and stuff like that. And, and it's, what's really interesting is just um, how tight knit they are. It's really similar to ours where it's like, if you don't go into one that immediately feels toxic and gross, cause those exist too. Like you find when it's like, Oh, it's really nice in here. This is, I think that's the draw card for a lot of what we do as well, where it's like people will pop in and they'll just enjoy the company that they have. So there's a fair bit of content on Twitch from rock and metal artists. And the big one that comes to mind mm. is um, Matt Hafey from Trivium does a really yes. good job of streaming live shows, even from side stage, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What was behind the decision to go down the gaming route, which I think is really working for you, but why not make it more about the band initially? Was there ever that idea? Uh, It was actually deliberate just because um, this is part of like a, a, how would I, it's a diversification effort on my part. I think when 2020 rolled around and everything fell apart, I sort of, became incredibly despondent and depressed. And I didn't speak really very much for a while. And I spent a lot of that year stoned and doing harm to myself. And I kind of like, I don't remember a lot of it. And I basically lost my voice entirely. And I had to go and get like a uh, operation, like a um, what's the t- a procedure done on my vocal cords to sort of uh, get them to relax and stop, you know, uh, being rock hard and all of this sort of stuff. So I went through a very, very rough time. And a lot of that was, the core of that was around the idea that I'd worked my entire life you know, as an adult for 20 plus years to develop this skill set and, and become an artist and express myself and create this legacy. And then it all just sort of went away. And I, there was no guarantee that it would come back in any way. So 
there was a point where it's just like, I can't have all of my happiness eggs in this single basket. Otherwise I'm going to be very, very unhappy if, if everything goes wrong. And so I started taking on smaller projects. Like I created a podcast with the music and everything, which has gone really well. And it's been really a lot of fun. We just wrapped on our first season last week. Um, I've been working on a couple of little children's books. This is my, this might be something that's like, might not actually see the light of day. It's just sort of like a little thing that I've been toying with and we'll just see how that goes. Uh, and of course, starting the Twitch channel. And it was all basically to go, I need to do like utilize the skills that I have that I've developed through being an artist, um, but just in a different avenue. I'm not ruling out doing music stuff on Twitch though. I'm just uh, uh, inhibited by my technological capacity right now. <laughs> this is no way, no way that the rig I'm running can handle that right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's a lot of gear. And uh, yeah, that gets, uh, like it's pretty hectic. Like, I don't know, I've been dabbling in all the um, the the car racing side of Twitch. There's a lot of mm. that. There. You know, a few of my mates that are into it have more expensive fake cars in their lounge room than my daily commuter car. And it's not close. <laughs> oh, you mean like a, a rig, like a to yeah. sit in and actually? Oh, that's wild. And it's that's cool. It, all this this stuff is yeah. You know, it's the same with music. Very expensive hobby. Very very mm. fun. And you can definitely have a lot of fun with it with minimal coin. But then sometimes you see the people uh, rolling in the high end of town on these things, and you just kind of have to yep. sit back and go, wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, like I, one channel that I recommend everyone go and check out obviously is, uh, he goes by DM Tesseract on, uh, Twitch, but it's Dan Tompkins of, of the band Tesseract. And he does a combination of gaming and singing and performance and stuff, which again is something that I'm looking to integrate into mine at some stage, but he as a performer, like, especially like as a vocalist is just unmatched. His control is just so perfect. So even if you're not a singer and you just like music or whatever, go and check it out. Because if you watch him sing live, it's just like, it's about as naked as you can possibly be vocally because it's just, here's me in a room with a microphone singing into the internet directly. Like, here, take that. Uh, and it is so, so precise and exciting. So I recommend that very much. Yeah, I didn't actually know that he Twitch streamed, but knowing how much of a beast he is vocally, I'm going to go check Oh, yeah. Out. No, definitely. He has, he has fun gaming too. Yeah. So that, that record was a real game changer for me when I was starting to get into the heavy stuff. Uh, Tesseract, I think it's called the, the black one with the Tesseract shape on the cover. Uh, okay. Now I'm, I'm expressing my ignorance right now. You I know, think they've only got a couple. <laughs> yeah. Let's... Witness me embarrass myself. Yeah. We're oh, getting you need back, one back check from on. 2011. Yeah. One. One. Yeah. There you go. And I had a. Because they have a lot of kind of sparse art. So that, that one is probably it. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, it had about a 30-minute long sort of opus made up of a number of smaller tracks. Oh, yeah, concealing, concealing Fate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Concealing yeah. Fate. That's the one. Yeah, that rules. Very, very cool piece of music. And he's only gotten better vocally since. Through oh, yeah. He came back to the band and yeah. Yeah, so- it's, it's super exciting. On the topic of music and, and bands, obviously... Um, Jim's from the band Caligula's Horse, we've briefly mentioned. <laughs> in passing, yeah. Yeah, in passing, possibly lost to the uh, the ravages of time and the void of the internet, <laughs> depending on how well my recordings caught that bit. Uh, one thing I've always been curious of was, was there a light bulb moment with Caligula's Horse where you went from going, well, this is more of less of an idea and more of something that's actually going to work 
you know, was there ever a point where it transitioned from being a couple of mates making some noise into, oh, wow, this is something serious now? Or did it always I mean, feel that way? I mean, okay. So when, when I first showed up to work with Sam, it was basically just as a, uh, a guest vocalist on uh, his solo album. Like that was how it all sort of started. And I was only going to sing on one track. And so when we had fun and decided, yeah, we'll sing on all the tracks. Then it's like, oh, well, maybe we collab on a song. And then we wrote the, the lead single for the album together. And then it was like, basically from that point on, we kind of went, let's, uh, let's put a band together and take this seriously. Um, mm. As seriously as one can, being a bunch of silly young prog heads. Um, but it, it, what it did is it meant that it, it drove us to kind of be really super critical of what we do as we do it and making sure that tours were sustainable and not just taking like, you know, oh, gigs a gigs a gig. It was just kind of like, no, we have to take the right gigs at the right time. We're not going to bankrupt ourselves. And as a result, we haven't had any burnout, a mass burnout, I should say. Like we have had uh, members leave because touring was too much and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, but yeah, I think it's been pretty serious basically from the point we went like, nah, let's turn this into a band. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. And I think at that point you were both reasonably established musicians as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, like we were both shit. I mean, I would have been about 24, I think. Um, but like we, we were both in bands. Like I'd been in arcane for a, a couple of few years we'd had two albums by that point and sam had been in like a bunch of bands through his uh, teens and 20s and was just a remarkable guitarist already and already kicking goals like winning awards at university and stuff for for all of the stuff that he does and he's now you know dr valen which is incredible um the absolute beast of a man uh, and so yeah there was a lot there was a lot uh, working in our favor at that point but i think i think there was just a a real feeling between the two of us that it was just like yeah let's 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 do something with this let's go Still a surprise when it worked. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Yeah, I, I think a lot of these things uh, happen to be lightning in a bottle moments, right? Where mm. there's always the what if it works and there's always a possibility, but the feeling of actually capturing it must be just spectacular. Yeah, I don't think that there's been a single point where I've listened to the final master of like an album that we're about to release or something and, and not going like, Ooh, I think this is the thing. This is the next thing. I'm very, very happy. There's never been a point where it's just like, you know, we've half-assed something go like, ah, I wish I'd done that differently. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's always kind of like right on the tip of our tongues and right on the tip of our kind of creative self and kind of pushing ourselves. So, but um, yeah, we've, um, we're actually been writing new stuff at the moment as well. We're writing, uh, writing a new album at present. And uh, it's been a thrill to be back in amongst it because it's like what that three years since we've written the last one. Because mm. uh, Rise Radiant was recorded mostly in the latter end, uh, like right at the end of uh, 2019. So yeah, it was all written before that as well. So yeah, three years in in, in the hole <laughs> of not writing, and so it's it's been really nice. So I've got my fingers and my toes crossed for this comment. Oh and yes, on wood, all the good omens. Uh, that would have felt a little bit like a jump start maybe with rice radiant getting that out and going let's go to ah, oh, and having and and climax of having to wait to actually get those songs out and may i say if you haven't seen those songs performed live go listen to them go see your nearest caligula's horse show they really stepped it up you all really stepped it up with this in terms of the live translation i think hmm. um I'm not exactly sure why. I usually have a good handle on why I like things and why I don't, but some of the tracks just really translate into real 
showstoppers. Um, that being said, hmm. and more ass kissing out the way, <laughs> it must be nice to be looking down the barrel of a new album coming out and being much more confident now that you're actually going to be able to take it on the road, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm settling for cautiously optimistic uh, because, you know, all the the universal ego death we suffered in uh, 2020 it's kind of uh, put that uh, you know the, the number of times I got to tell you because like the, throughout that into this sort of two year period there there wasn't a time where we haven't been making plans of some kind like there hasn't been a time where we haven't gone like okay well we'll push this tour that's been penciled in that we haven't announced and we'll take it and we'll put it you know elsewhere and we'll push it there and it's just like and every single time because like, oh, okay so what about these dates do these work and i just be like yeah righto <laughs> okay sure thing go ahead put them there nothing <laughs> will come of this uh and so that was the point that, that we'd reached and so I'm, I'm allowing myself some optimism now and not to be totally cynical about the idea of touring so yeah it is it is very exciting that you know it's entirely possible we might have a normal album release and follow it with touring you know like a band would in the world <laughs> yeah we all did really get humbled at the end of 2019 for a couple of years didn't we boy, so boy. on the topic of phds um you're all pretty well educated in the band um <laughs> i mean i, I wasn't in your class some, some of us <laughs> i wasn't in your classes specifically like oh they're all studying really hard um, <laughs> let's cheat off sam's test let's- yeah yeah um but it's not exactly like you did something like what the ocean have done. Uh, and for those of you who don't know the ocean, let me give a quick impression. Uh, a lyric might go something along the lines of, Hey, it's 3 million years ago now. And then a really heavy guitar riff comes in and Loic will belt out something <laughs> like it's freaking dinosaurs. And then there'll be some really cool synth dark wave stuff going on. Um, do you, you Caligula's horse is obviously a historical reference, but the music itself and the lyrics aren't direct retellings of history and all that kind of stuff. Was there ever the mm. temptation to just kind of do that? No, I think that sort of goes against uh, the way that my, I don't know, the way that my creative spirit wants to put stuff out in the world, I guess, um, to put it in kind of like a, a kooky hippie sounding way. <laughs> like I, uh, I, I'm not really interested in kind of, I don't know. There's a lot of prog music that is, you know, all science and space and science fiction and all of this sort of stuff. And that's never appealed to me at all because I think primarily creatively, like I've described myself previously as a vessel for human sadness. And it's just kind of like, because I will just receive sad stories and have them in me without any, with none of my control, I'll just wake up with darkness. And it's just like, okay, cool. There's a story to tell. That's just the way that my brain works. I don't, I don't know what the story is there. But so the only other time that I've kind of reached into existing kind of uh, worlds and told stories within them is, is utilizing stuff like uh, mythology. And then even then, I'm, I try really hard to just kind of like refer to that and use it as kind of a shorthand or a, like an understood kind of idiom for people to kind of communicate the idea of the emotion of the story that we're trying to tell. Uh, and I've done that a handful of times. Um, but for the most part now, it's uh, I'm trying to challenge myself to be more direct and personal uh, with the lyrical content. And I did a little bit of that on Rise Radiant and there's certainly a bit of that happening in uh, the new album as well. So um, yeah, too sad. I'm just, too, I'm, I think I'm too <laughs> sad for, for history facts. I think that's, that's all, <laughs> that's all it is. No, I get that. And I think In Contact did a good job of balancing that where it felt like at points, you know, you might've been 
remasking the themes of a Shakespearean tragedy, but definitely bringing it into more of like a personalized, modernized kind of sense or, mm. you know, a, a hero's journey from Greek mythology. Um, that being said, I wouldn't particularly class Caligula's Horse as a band that makes me feel sad to listen to, you know, and I think that's mm. something really interesting and I'm, I'm intrigued to know a little bit more is it never went to a place that feels really depressing, even if some of the themes are conceptually, you know, bands mm. like Catatonia might come to mind when you talk about that, or, you know, you go even darker into the DSBM stuff like Mugler, um, the really, really sorrowful stuff. Where, um, where did that kind of come from in a writing point of view to try and, bring it back somewhere hopeful or is that even what you're intending to do no absolutely it was a conscientious effort too because i i think basically from like river's end our second album was the first time where sam and i like went and wrote an album together um like obviously moments was primarily excuse me uh sam except for um the three singles uh, which and two of which were on a separate EP anyway, so it doesn't matter. History will record that they were on the first album. Um, but the second album was basically just us like unhinged, just going like, yep, let's freaking do a big concept album. Let's tell that story. And then when it came to Bloom, that's the first time that we had kind of like a fully written collection of songs, unrelated, not a concept album, but just we wanted to go like, what's the theme tying it all together? And, you know, I'd gone through some serious trauma over the years in the lead up to that. And, you know, Sam obviously has his history of that as well. And kind of we, we reached a point where it was just like, I don't want to put out something in the world that is entirely maudlin. You know, I don't, I don't want something that is going to necessarily celebrate um, the depression that I feel or celebrate the, you know, the, the sorrow of this story that I'm telling without at least referring to the kind of the other side of it or at least the the, the bittersweetness of, of it so you know if we're writing a song about you know the how life is temporary and and you know all things are lost and all of that sort of thing there's also the side of it which is just like hey life is temporary all things are lost it's okay like that that mm. side of thing because there there is two sides to all of those coins um i can't speak for the new album yet it seems it's pretty pretty dark so far but then again it's it's also been you know the dark couple of years so all of our you know artistic proclivity is based on our experience so yeah, there you go. But yeah, it was it was a deliberate effort in you know, on Bloom and uh, in Contact and Rise Radiant as well. Mm. Well, I know there's a lot of people that will be very uh, <laughs> eager to hear this now, the the new record, and fingers crossed the rest Me of too. the recording and writing process all goes well. Yeah, yeah. I'll just knock myself unconscious uh, and just <laughs> sort of drift through the rest of the writing process like a zombie of some kind, and then I'll come out the other side and be like, "Hey, man, <laughs> the album is it's okay, it's acceptable." <laughs> Have you seen the film Swiss Army Man? No. Oh, you need to do yourself a favour and see that. No. Uh, to cut it short and not give too much away, uh, yeah, you, judging from Jim's face, he's just seen the uh, the synopsis. Daniel Radcliffe plays Oh, this corpse. movie. Yeah, I just Googled it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's a corpse in the thing, right? The brilliance of it is I think it's his most stirring performance to date as a corpse. <laughs> he's so full of life and character with so little, uh, no dialogue at all, if I remember correctly. But basically- So that's me during the writing turns. process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Just take it just in turns Just prop being... me up in front of a microphone. Yeah. Flop my head around. <laughs> Yeah, then you'll be surprised by the album itself when it comes out. Uh, 
So I had a little game in mind to play now. Yes. And it goes something like this. I'm going to give you a statement and I want you to think of a song or a band or an album that comes to mind. It doesn't have to be, (laughs) yeah, on the spot now. All right. Yep. Perfect. But just give us a bit of a, a bit of a ramble as to why that song came to mind for that topic. So I'll, I'll start nice and easy. Uh, high school. High school. Um, all right. So uh, this song is Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. And I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> this is a metal podcast, right? Um, and, I, you know, I'll tell you why. And it's because the number eight appeals to me. In the title, I think that that is, I think that made it way cooler than if it was spelled with letters. Um, <laughs> but also generally the because the works of Avril Lavigne were very present at the time that I was in uh, in high school, and so they, you know, there you go. I don't know why that was the first song <laughs> that came to mind, but I'm being honest. There's yeah, a whole Jordan. lot of anthropologists listening along right now, using that to like <laughs> carbon date when you were in school. Yeah. Um, I love the meme going around about that, where it's a quote, a supposed quote uh, that she's worried that people wouldn't understand the artistic risk. (laughs) Of the eight? Yeah, I think that was like a click hole headline or some shit. That was good. It's very good. Uh, Buying your first record. Buying my first record. Buying. Jeez Louise, I didn't have expendable income for some time, you see. Um, I'll tell you what, though, the I have a, a memory of getting a bunch of CDs for like, I think it was my 13th birthday or something, because again, CDs um, and uh, it was a really awesome collection. It was from my mom and dad. And it was like I got uh, There Is Nothing Left to Lose by the Foo Fighters. I got um, it, ironically the single uh, of uh, Freak on a Leash by Korn. Um, <laughs> I think it was Silverchair's. Neon Ballroom, which is just unreal. Uh, and I think there was one other. I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, either way, it was a great collection of, of things. So the, I'm not going to say I bought them as my first record, but that was that's the first memory of, like, wow, I have music now that I have, I think. Yeah. No, that's a good answer. And Silverchair, may I say, has aged like fine wine. Oh, yeah. A I mean, Daniel of- Johns' behavior, not so much. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Definitely the music. I mean, I, it's really sad, actually. I went and looked this up um, because apparently there's a doco about it that I haven't seen, but I went and looked this up because somebody was telling me that uh, Diorama, which is by far their best album in terms of its uh, legacy and impact, because I don't, I don't know any freaking Aussie uh, alternative rock or metal musician, melodic metal musician that hasn't been in some way deeply affected by the album Diorama, um, was like their, their worst selling album, the least successful one. And it's just like, ah, oh, man, come on, dude, <laughs> please, mm. please see it for what it is. But yeah, it's obviously had a greater impact than its initial charting, etc. Road tripping. Road tripping. Train of Thought by Dream Theater and Ghost Reveries by Opeth. Oh, because I remember listening to those two albums on repeat. I think it was like one of two CDs that um, the original bassist for Arcane, Shirley, he had in his car. And we just like have them on repeat, just driving around in this busted old car with $5 worth of petrol in it and just like, <laughs> you know, trying to get back to his place <laughs> after rehearsal, you know, and like, those 
kid, those are really strong kind of kid, kind of late teen, early 20 memories of just being a, a dirty, filthy, degenerate writing metal music. And uh, for the first time feeling really free in uh, on a road trip, listening to Train of Thought and Ghost Reveries. Nice that's memories. A, that's, a, that's a really good one. I think I had uh, a similar thing. A Ghost Reveries would have been one of the first CDs I had. And I always loved the the matte black CD cover with the embossed mm. black logo mm-hmm. and song mm-hmm. listing on it. It was just so over the top, so metal. Sexy as hell. So unnecessary. So good. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> a song that takes you to another place. More. I'm going to say like 90% of the songs on Grace by Jeff Buckley, um, particularly Dream Brother and uh, the song Grace itself. Just, just unreal. I, you know, I, when I turn, actually, here's an interesting thing. Uh, when I need lyrical inspiration, often I don't go read things or listen to things that have something I'd like to emulate. I I like to go to things that are sort of broadly evocative and kind of create imagery or a a tone in my head that can then sort of be, you know, transported into and transformed into something that I want to create. Um, And often I'll turn to people like Tori Amos and Jeff Buckley and, uh, and even uh, fair to Midland as well for something a little bit different, just because Darrow's lyrics and that are so sort of angular and strange. Um, and because you're so transported by listening to that music, it can really put you in a place where you're just kind of like the analytical part of my brain is completely switched off. And now I'm just thinking passively about the ideas that I have for the story I want to tell. And also being driven by this amazing journey that you're taking musically. And so I, um, I utilize that to write lyrics, write lyrics sometimes. And yeah, so Jeff Buckley's a, uh, he's the goat rip. <laughs> Indeed. A song you find unnecessarily frustrating. Unnecessarily frustrating. Oh, what the hell? Uh, basically anything on like my daughter's iPad. Um, like, like basically, <laughs> I don't know why. Cold. Th- this is this is a genuine gripe of mine. Uh, why is it? What is the deal? Why is it that like freaking there needs to be a children's music app? What is children's music exactly? Like what? What is it about you know freaking Jeff Buckley that can't be heard by children's ears? You know what I mean? It's like I'm not. I'm not saying that you know we shouldn't warn against you know like excessive profanity or like I don't know if like not going to go show her cannibal corpse anytime soon necessarily. <laughs> but I'm just saying that it's like the have <laughs> you know why does it need to be like a more plasticized version of a song that already exists? Cause that's what they do. There's like, there's mm-hmm. songs on there that exist in the, in the real world outside of kids thing. And then they just do a version. that's a little bit more bubblegum sounding. And so it's like, dude, play them the freaking song, man. Anyway, uh, old man yells at cloud and um, they, there's your answer. <laughs> so I would like that with hot dog by limp biscuit, because on one hand, there mm. is an excessive <laughs> amount of F bombs in that song. But at the end, he counts them for you. And I think that has educational value. That is very nice of him to do that. It's very considerate. At least get him um, counting up to 46, thanks to Fred Durst. <laughs> I should also mention that Nookie is one of my favorite songs of all time. I don't care. I oh, don't give a shit. This is a Limp Biscuit positivity zone. And I don't care if I've just lost <laughs> half my elitist audience. But Roland is yeah. a classic and I will die on that hill. Yeah, do it. They're, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to talk objectively about a subjective topic now. It's it's objectively good. Indeed. So you've just bought a new speaker set, hypothetically. <laughs> world where we can <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Imagine it. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. I can imagine I that. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, no. <laughs> on the topic of expensive hobbies. Uh, and you've got, to <laughs> test, you've got to test them. Like really, you know, a song that's got all the, the ear candy going. What song do you test these speakers with? a really good question because generally i don't uh i generally don't uh listen for that i reckon i reckon and call me an egotist do it but i'm gonna say um graves because first of all it's nice and long and um that's how i like it generally and uh but the uh the like don't laugh at that that didn't deserve a laugh that was just an that's that was purely just like following a, a crashing train to its inevitable conclusion. I just had to say the final bit. Um, but yeah, it's also full of a lot of little intricacies and stuff that are always fun to listen to, particularly when you're a part of recording them. It's just like, oh, that's where that is. Um, so yeah, that'll be, that would, that's what I would do. I would, I would nurse my ego and listen to Graves. No, that's a, that's a good choice actually. And not to mention the best instrument outside of the typical heavy metal ensemble of saxophone being ah one. yes that- the saxophone the, the the now less uh sort of it, it used to be a bit of a pariah didn't it i mean like i suppose mm. the kind of 80s 90s use of cheese sax was probably uh, a big part of why it sort of fell out of favor but um of late and not least of which to do with uh jürgen monkeby who actually played sax on graves who's played sax on a whole bunch of stuff um not least of which in his own uh, project Shining from Norway, um, has been a huge part of bringing that back. And I think it's kind of, I've, I've heard it in a lot of stuff now. People are just like, yeah, man, sax, it's cool again. We're not all fucking, you know, guilty feet have got no rhythm. It's, it's you know, I'm, I, I will never dance again. I'm never going to dance again. No count of the guilt. The shaming here, please. No. That's a, it's a great song. It is. It is actually a great song. I don't give a shit. I mean, this is the thing. It's like you know, you can mock it for its 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 uh, the time period that it's from, for its production style, for the 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 delivery, for the cheesiness. But it's just like that song is hook after hook after hook, and I don't give a shit. It's fucking oh, awesome. exactly. I was actually lucky enough to see Jurgen uh, with Nurgle from Behemoth's band, me and that man. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And he nice. whipped out the tenor and just belted. Oh. In yeah, it's it just something else when it's on stage with metal as well. It's just uh, it's intense. I mean, we we toured with Shining in 2015. It was our first European tour, actually. Uh, we shared a bus with them all across Europe for for a month, uh, and that was a wild time with some crazy stories that I'll save for another podcast. But um, suffice to say, watching Shining every night was absolutely nuts, absolutely fucking nuts. And watching uh, Jürgen play the sax as well. So of course, that was how we had the connection and asked him to come and play on Graves, ultimately. So when you're writing and you go to Sam and say, look, I want this kind of riff. You ever had a situation <laughs> like that where you've gone band or like copy that? It's more like, you know, what's really interesting is that like, we'll come up with a whole series of small ideas or just moments or even a mood and go like, oh shit. And that'll kind of go like, oh, it's like, like a little toy you have for a cat where it's like a little thing on the string that's just dangling and you j- it just catches your eye and you go, oh, fuck, I'm going to chase that in that direction. And it's kind of like we will find ourselves in a place where it's like, oh, okay, so this is a la something we've done before or like this is the mood of this we're going to do. This is this sort of artist. But I don't think we've ever really gone in and gone like, you know what? What's really missing here is 
uh, writing a song that's already been written by someone else. You know, what's missing from this album is uh, the works of Stephen Wilson. Uh, you know, the, that's <laughs> never really been a, <laughs> it's never really been a discussion as much as that would be fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, uh, it's not, it's not how it rolls really. There's, a, there's an interview with Mikel from Opeth that really stuck with me where he talks about uh, writing process and all that. And the, mm. the thing that triggered that in my memory was, you know, he didn't really know a lot of music theory. So he used to write, insert morbid angel riff here. And he'd just know yeah. what. <laughs> and you could listen to it and it would sound opathy. It's not a morbid angel mm. riff at all. But it, you know, some people sort of work like that. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had we've had uh, working titles for things that are based on you know it's like oh that's the riff that's this or the riff that's that, and then they they got really out of control, so we just started <laughs> trying to name things a bit earlier properly, so they don't get buried in in uh, or you don't get like a too attached to them being named something. Like I'm pretty sure there was a song with Arcane on Known Learned, which is a deeply sad album. There's like there's a song. Uh, I can't even remember which one, but its working title was Carol of the Balls, um, and I just. It, it stuck and I couldn't no, come up with an actual title for it. So it's a ter- terrible. So yeah, no, we, we don't, we don't tend to do that <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I do like the uh, Carol the Bells pun there. That's quite funny. Mm. So if I say to you a band or a, a, rather a song that makes you think, Hey, we could have written that. Conversely, a, a song that makes you think, Oh, I wish I could have written that. Ah, good question. Um, I can't, I don't really have an answer for the, uh, the first one, to be honest, just because I don't know. I mean, it might be a bit of a cop-out answer, but again, it's just like, you know, I think that the way that we write is so reflective of us as people. And just like at our mission statement, it's just that like, I am going to say the things that I have to say right now. I'm not going to filter any of that. I'm just going to fucking put it out there musically, but it's like, there's not, there's not something that I would listen to and go on and go like, you know, like I, I, I could have done that if I'd wanted to do that. Cause if I wanted to, I would have, uh, it would have happened. I would have just gone and done that thing. Um, but, uh, and I'll say, I don't know, but the, the, I wish I had written that song again, I'm going to come back to Jeff Buckley. I think that grace is one of the best songs ever written. And it's like, you, you listen to it and you're like, fuck, I wish I wrote that song. I wish that it, I wish that my name was a part of that song. That is, that is perfection. You know, Last one, a song or a mm. band that you want to see live that you haven't. Oh, hey, you know what's interesting? I've never seen Carnival live. Really? Um, yeah, against all odds. I Over the years, like being an Australian and, and with a, and a remarkably influential Australian progressive metal band like Carnival, who've been around for fucking, what, like how, how long now? It'd be like 20 years, something like that. Give or take, Christ, yeah. I don't know. Um, I hope I'm not insulting them by saying that, uh, but yeah, I've, I've never had the pleasure of seeing them live and I look forward to it at some stage, but, um, because the rest of it, I mean, like in terms of most of my like bucket list bands to see and, and in fact, tour with, I've played with most of my favorite bands. There's a handful left, you know, that I would love to tick off the list, but it's like, really, I'll, it's, it's fucking carnival, dude. I, I, I need to see carnival. That's what I need to see. There was a period there sort of. I want to say starting around the end of 2016, maybe this goes back a bit earlier, but if you were both a, a general prog or prog death fan and you also happened to like Caligula's Horse, you were in luck because it didn't matter who was coming out. It felt like you guys were opening. <laughs> and it was always like, yep, too far, great. Yeah. Well, we behaved ourselves. I mean, this is the thing. Like we, 
worked really hard. This is back in the days where you would be given a big wad of hard tickets to sell. It was your role as the opener, you know, and we, we, became friendly with the the um, promoters that were bringing these people out because we would always push and sell our tickets and we would finish our set on time and we'd be <laughs> try and be as professional as possible. And it just opened up a whole bunch of opportunities for us. So it was pretty funny and uh, ultimately very, um, you know, positive thing for our career. But it's uh, at the time it was just like, yeah, that was true. There was every band, the international band that came to Brisbane was just like, yeah, Seahawks are playing. Yay. <laughs> this will be fun. Tick. Yeah, exactly. Um, and do you have any distinct goals that you can think of for Caligula's Horse left that you haven't ticked off, like a venue you really want to play or maybe there is a band you want to play with? At some I mean, the, those things still exist, obviously, you know, like, you know, everybody wants to play Red Rocks, you know what I mean? Like all the sort of emotional kind of places, that would be really, really great. But I think what the last couple of years has kind of taught me is that my dream really is just to be able to continue doing it at all so like i have no capacity to take live music for granted anymore um not that i ever really did i guess but it's just now there's there's no chance you know so it's like if i get to have the opportunity to get together with my best mates get on a plane go to europe and and see fucking everywhere across five weeks and play tons of shows to tons of people and uh on the back of and do all of that on the back of music that i've written over the last 10 to 15 years like dude holy shit that's beyond a dream it's insane it's it's unreal particularly again over the last three years and the last two years of uh, i always refer to it as that ego death that it's just like everything fell out and now it's like fuck okay if it's back that's my dream you know yeah, you almost can't go wrong with that attitude, to be honest. I mean, you know, mm. barring a pandemic that is even harsher and longer, God forbid we even <laughs> think about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, touching. Well, there's always there's always streaming and the podcast. This is the thing. I'm 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 stretching my wings, Jordan. That's what I'm doing. Well, there you go, diversifying. Um, mm-hmm. Good luck for the the tour coming up as well. That'll be. Thanks, man. Sorry. Yeah, it's freaking what? What day is it today? Is it Wednesday? Yes, it, it is. is. Yeah, Friday. Friday in Cairns. So it's it's kicking off now. It's awesome. That it is. I need to check which day is which day is the Melbourne show. I should There's know. two. There's two. Um, let me have a squiz. I think it is the following Thursday. No, no, it's in two weeks. It's in the last leg of it. So I think it's the 13th and 14th. Oh, cool. Okay. Of October. Yeah, because I think the Friday one sold out, like the the 14th sold out or came close to it or something. So they put in the second show on the 13th. Um, but wow. yes. Oh, and that's at Northcote as well. At um, That's a really cool venue if it's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, awesome. I haven't looked at any of them really. I'm excited because like we're playing um, in WA for the first time in years now as well. We're going to uh, Frio. Yep. And fucking Hobart, like, come on. I've wanted to play Hobart for my entire career and I haven't just because money oh. and time. So, wow. yeah. I mean, go. like, we've never done freaking Cairns or Townsville or Mackay and we're doing all three of those this weekend. So it's like, mm. it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's that's good stiff. I actually went and saw um, Thy Art is Murder at that Northcote Theatre a couple of weeks oh, yeah? ago. Now, and you're going to love it. It's hell yeah. I'm, I'm going to Google it now. I'm going to the- look it up. The outside looks like somewhere you'd go for kebabs at 1am. <laughs> Perfect. Inside looks like our answer to 
Well, I'd say the Royal Albert Hall, but that's whoa, really whoa, 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 that is sick. Is it a seated venue? No, please tell me no. No, it's not fully standing. Oh, good. And the that's m- sick. The the mezzanine is unfortunately phallic shaped. And if anyone has oh, yeah. gone to the uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, have, yeah, I can see that now. Mm, picturing mm. that from on stage, I bet it's going to be even more striking an image. So that's going to be fine. Yeah. It's like if the Royal Albert Hall had a Prince Albert. Like, um, <laughs> prepare for me to tell that joke on stage, by the way, because that just came to me and it's uh, it's good content. So uh, you can hear the recycled version then. Oh, I'm just going to turn weeks. to the person next to me and be like, I heard that one first. <laughs> <laughs> it's not original. Uh, <laughs> uh, brilliant. All right. Well, I'll let you get back to... Uh... Family night. Afternoon plans. Yeah, last night with a family before I disappear for like a week. So yeah, nice. I'm gonna go be a dad now. Excellent. All right. Show uh show your kids those uh not kid-friendly versions <laughs> of at least a, a reasonable range of music. <laughs> not cannibal corpse, neck yeah. deep straight away. That's or what hot dog. Do. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. That's next. Actually, no, I will say before I go, uh, Enora, my eldest, did actually end up watching a um, um, the live stream, the live after lockdown thing. And like halfway through, she's just turned to my wife and just gone, mom, she's like, what? Dan says the F word a lot. <laughs> just like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. My, my children are watching this. Oh. Yeah, she knows now. It's fine. <laughs> the, the morality you've passed on to them there is interesting. I mean, it, it, me at that age probably would have used that as permission. And then later, yeah, but no, I mean, she's a good person. She's not like us. She's a good person. (laughs) You've done well. You've done very well there. So far. (laughs) You've been listening to Shred is Not Dead. I'm Jordan. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we were talking to guest Jim Gray. If you haven't caught his band on the road yet, Caligula's Horse, they're currently touring with The Butterfly Effect and Thornhill. Go check it out. Get down to a show. Catch you on the next one.